Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, November 17th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what we're covering today. The current trajectory of the war in Ukraine. Plus, a groundbreaking Me Too bill passes in Congress. But first, hospitals struggle to house patients with deadly consequences. That's today's one big thing. Hospitals are keeping patients longer than they need to, as healthcare worker shortages are making it hard to get some patients into longer term care. Now, healthcare facilities are looking to Congress for help paying for the patients they can't discharge. Meanwhile, ERs have been overflowing in some parts of the country, and a lack of beds has left some to die in emergency waiting rooms. Axios's healthcare reporter, Ariel Dreyer, has been covering this story. Hi, Ariel. Hi. Ariel, why are hospitals not able to discharge patients? What issues are they facing there? It's what I would call a perfect storm, right? We have staffing shortages in almost every level of our healthcare system right now, including and especially in the long-term care system. So skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities, family group homes, those types of settings were really hit hard by covid and subsequently hit hard by staffing shortages. And so when there's not enough staff in those facilities, there's just not as much capacity and space for hospitals to discharge patients to. A letter was sent to President Biden, which was striking in that it talked about the literal life consequences of this. It was horrifying to read about nurses calling 911 because their ERs are overflowing or ER doctors talking about patients dying in the waiting room because of this. What exactly do hospitals want Congress to do? The American Hospital Association is essentially asking Congress for a per diem payment for each of these patients that is staying there to sort of help alleviate their financial stress when it comes to backlog. Hospitals generally are dealing with a lot of financial pressures right now when it comes to losing some of the pandemic funding they were getting from Congress and treating patients that, frankly, are a higher acuity than they've seen in a long time, meaning they're seeing patients sicker than maybe they would have seen at this time in 2019. I've talked to some clinicians and some analysts about this. We think part of that is because people delayed care during the pandemic. So people are coming to hospitals and emergency rooms sicker than perhaps they would have this time of year in 2018 or 2019 because they might have not got that checkup in 2020 or even 2021. Ariel, in your reporting, you found that skilled nursing facilities are still rejecting patient referrals from hospitals at higher rates than they did before the pandemic. Why? 
So it goes back to that staffing issue, right? And I talked to the consumer voice, which are advocates for these long-term care patients. And in some cases, a facility rejecting a patient is actually a good thing, right? If a patient can't be safely admitted to a facility, we don't want them to take them on. And so it's sort of this push-pull right now where you don't want a facility to be overwhelmed and have too many patients per staff member. But on the other hand, in the hospital, these patients are sort of waiting and waiting and waiting. I talked to one hospital administrator, and she's had patients upwards of 100 days at a time. And it's really difficult, I think, when the entire system is stressed as it is. COVID is not the reason anymore that these patients can't get into facilities. Outbreaks used to be the reason why transferring patients or referring patients was hard. But now it's simply a capacity and staffing issue. Ariel Dreyer covers healthcare for Axios. Thanks. Thanks so much. Some more updates from Capitol Hill. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was re-elected to his leadership post yesterday after facing a challenger for the first time in 15 years. He beat Florida Senator Rick Scott 37 to 10. And at a news conference, he addressed the GOP losses in the midterms. We underperformed among voters who did not like President Biden's performance, among independents and among moderate Republicans who looked at us and concluded too much chaos, too much negativity, and we turned off a lot of these centrist voters, which is why I never predicted a red wave to begin with. In a big win for the Me Too movement, the House passed a bill yesterday with bipartisan support that limits the use of non-disclosure agreements in sexual harassment cases. The Speak Out Act is now going to President Biden's desk to be signed. And a bill that would codify protections for same-sex marriage overcame a big test vote in the Senate yesterday. A procedural motion passed with enough support to show the Respect for Marriage Act can pass the entire chamber. Earlier this week, the law received an official statement of support from the Mormon Church. In a moment, an update on the direction of the Ukraine war. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. An update on a story we've been following. Yesterday at a meeting in Brussels, Poland and the NATO alliance said a Russian-made missile that crashed into Poland was probably a stray, fired by Ukrainian air defenses and not from Russia, avoiding a danger of NATO escalation in the conflict. But NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said the missile wasn't Ukraine's fault and that Russia bears ultimate responsibility for its war against Ukraine. There have been about 66 civilian Ukrainian deaths just in the past two weeks. That's according to the U.N. Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. That's why we wanted to get an update on the trajectory of the war, which just marked its 267th day. I spoke last night with Neil Hauer, an independent journalist based in Armenia who's in Ukraine right now covering the war. Hey, Neil. Hi, thanks for having me. So we don't want to lose sight of where the war stands at this moment. You are most recently back from Kherson, the Ukrainian city where there was a recent withdrawal by Russian forces. Can you explain what the city looked like after it was liberated by Ukrainian troops and what this means for Russia right now? You know, one of the the most striking things about the city was that it was in a remarkably good state in terms of destruction preservation because, you know, 
There wasn't a prolonged fighting over it when the Russians took it in early March at the very start of the invasion. And then the Ukrainians were able to force the Russians to withdraw without extended urban fighting over the city. So it's physically in much better shape than a lot of other cities in Ukraine that have been at the forefront here. It was really surreal, to be honest, to see the people there in the streets against the backdrop of these Russian propaganda banners that are still hanging around the city on the billboards. The the people waving the Ukrainian flag and the sheer outpouring of emotion there. You know, over the last couple of months, as Russia's increasingly lost the military advantage, when they have experienced losses on the battlefield, they tend to respond with these sorts of strikes on civilian infrastructure. And I think it was especially Zelensky's visit, which was also on Monday this week. One day later, they launched, by some accounts, their largest cruise missile attack of the war, with over 100 hitting Ukraine in just one day. What does the withdrawal of Russian forces from Kherson mean for Russian military strategy at this point? It's a move that they were going to be forced to make sooner or later. Kherson city and the surrounding area lies on the other side of the Dnipro River, across which there were only two bridges that Russia had to use to supply its forces there, and those were heavily damaged, hardly usable. So Russia was just going to increasingly lose more and more men and materiel sitting there on that side. And they would have been forced militarily to withdraw at some point. We talked about the missile strikes. Ukrainian power plants automatically shut down as a result of those strikes, leaving urban centers without electricity. What are you hearing about Kyiv specifically or major cities and electricity, how they're handling that? This has been the epicenter of the Russian strikes. The Russians are focusing their efforts on Kiev, and it's caused a lot of strain on the grid. You know, there's rolling blackouts here, and some districts are without power for hours at a time. Uh, but you know the, the Russian guided munitions stock is is declining over time. What's daily life like in Kiev right now? There's curfew at 11 p.m. During the day, it's a functioning city. When uh, about three weeks ago, there was a, a very heavy Russian attack by uh, Iranian suicide drones here, and by the number of the people in the streets, you know you hardly would have known it. The drones hit in parts of the city, and you can even hear the explosion in the distance sometimes. And People hardly react at this point. It's just a, a facet of life. They, they've seen how the, the Russians are getting weaker. I think every Ukrainian across the country, with tears in their eyes, tears of happiness, that they're watching the, the scenes of liberation from Kherson, which are just incredible. People are more determined than ever. Now, Hauer is joining us from Kyiv. He's an independent journalist. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. That's it for us today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.